Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 89. John and Wendy talk to Tim Sackett. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How's it going tonight, John? Wendy, I'm well. We wanted to take a minute before we introduced our guest to give another podcaster a shout out. Previous guest and our pal, Jessica Miller-Merrill, just celebrated 200 episodes of Workology. Jessica, congratulations on that. Knowing what an endeavor it is to get a show out every week. And I believe she's got not only her regular show, but a uh, a side project that comes out quite a bit as well. Congratulations Mm -hmm. to her and appreciate all the hard work. Certainly appreciate when she made time to join us from a parking lot when the power was out at her house. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, so yeah, yep. we're, we're really excited for Jessica and wish her many, many more because I know it's yes. just the start, but yeah, 200 is a quite a crowning achievement. And Wendy, I, I look forward to us celebrating 200 somewhere down the road. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. Congratulations, Jessica and, uh, and Workology and all that she's done with uh, all that she's done with Workology, with the podcast and blogs and sharing information. It's, I, you know, John, that's one of the things I love about this community is how open people are to sharing information. And so Jessica, Jessica just embodies that. And so I told, really appreciate that. Kudos, Jessica, for all that you've done. Well, it's time. I think it's safe to say, Wendy, that this is probably the the longest it's taken us to get a guest <laughs> that we have been so excited to get yes. on, on online with us and and to have on the have on the show. We've been talking; it seems like forever. I will let you make the introduction, and we will get started. Awesome! Yes, very excited to welcome Tim Sackett to the show tonight. He is in the running for shortest bio that I'm going to share. So, um, and future <laughs> guests, please. Let's see. Let's see how short we can get these bios. I love it. Tim Sackett, not a life coach. So, Tim, <laughs> first question. What's in your glass, bud? I am a pretty much a perennial G and T guy. So Tangeray and Tonic is kind of my go to. Um, I'm not. I mean, I drink a lot of different gins, but it's usually a gin and tonic. OK. Got to love a classic. What about you guys? Right now, Tim, I've got a Sprite Zero. Nice. <laughs> I have a cheap Pinot Noir that uh, I used for cook part of it for cooking the other day, so you can't let the rest of it go to waste. So before before we get really into this thing, you guys got to let me know. So are we are we PG PG thirteen or R? So I gotta I gotta filter out my language <laughs> based on how you guys want this to go. Tim, I think it's safe to say you're the first person that's ever asked. Yep. <laughs> As the editor of the show, I bleep. Because I think bleeping is funny. Okay, nice. You go right ahead. <laughs> you are unfiltered and loose in yep. the corners, which again is my favorite headline of yours of all time. Feel free, sir. Just yes. let it go. Nice. But again, nice. when you hear it, it, it'll be beeped because bleeping is funny. I do think the bleeping is funny. Like, I just want to say random words that you just bleep and people go, what did he say? Right? You know, you're <laughs> making that up. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's, I love that's it. Awesome. I told you, we got to go viral. We got we to gotta get one of these to go viral, Tim. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go, Tim. We know you're you're not a life coach. We know you're much more than that. And you know, like I said, we we're so happy that we were finally able to make this happen. Certainly know what you're doing now, but how exactly did you get your start when it comes to talent acquisition and human resources? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all family related. So I tell people like I was born into recruiting and talent acquisition, and partly I was I was raised. Um, my parents got divorced when I was really young. My mom was kind of raised us. And not that my dad wasn't in the picture, but it was more of that divorce kind of Kramer versus Kramer kind of set up, right? 
So mom pretty much took on the main role. And she, when I was nine years old, started a recruiting firm, staffing firm. I mean, she was a single mom with two kids. I have an older sister. And what, and back then, it wasn't like, um, you know, a lot of technology. It was a lot of paper. And so she would come home at night. And because you couldn't really, I mean, also one of those things was you can't really call people at work then. Like that was like a, like a, just a, you know, kind of a, you can't do that, right? You know, that was against the rules. So she would call people at night and we would have the TV on with no sound on sitting on her bed. She would call all these and we, she did is technical um, recruitment. So she was mostly engineers. So she'd call these guys at that point. Right. And be doing like screening interviews. And as she talked to them, she would be writing stuff down, which was basically addresses on like an envelope for us to send them like a letter of some sort, because again, like no real technology for email or anything. And we got paid five um, cents an envelope to stuff, right? And then that was our job to stuff as we watched TV with no sound on. And so like my whole entire young life, I just sat on the bed for literally two or three hours a night listening to my mom make recruiting screening calls. So I went to college and was going to be a teacher, met this uh, pretty girl out of Nebraska who was going to be a physical therapist. And we decided to come back to Michigan because she got accepted to physical therapy school. My mom's business was taking off. And so she's like, hey, I have a job for a research assistant and it pays 20000 a year. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. 20000 a year. I can't. That's great <laughs> money. And basically it was a sorcerer. I was actually like working for a recruiter. And I, and I tell it now, like I was actually doing all the real work and the, you know, the recruiter just took, you know, took you know, all the credit for me doing all the real work. But it was basically my job to find the candidates. And then the you know, recruiter's job was to talk them into actually taking the job. Right. So that was called a research assistant at the time because we just didn't call them sorcerers yet. So I started my career working for my mom's company as a sorcerer, kind of worked my way up that way. Uh, about eight years into it, this, the company had taken off. My career had taken off with her, um, was making just stupid staffing firm money. Um, my, my wife and I would laugh. Like we would like, she's like, oh, I want to buy a new living room furniture. And we like, can you wait till next month's commission check? Like it was like, got, you know. And we would just chuckle, you know, because like we had these giant checks coming in every month, like it was never going to end. I got to that point where I was probably late 20s, super cocky, making way too much money. And I was like, started to push, like push on my mom. Like, hey, it's time. Hey, old lady, time time for you to step aside. The kids got it. Kids got this, right? Time for me to run the show, be the CEO. And she said, no, you're fired. And literally fired me. Like when it happened, I was like, I mean, crushed. Like, wait a minute, you can't fire me. I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. And she was like, no, no, you're not. And we can be replaced. In hindsight, like it was maybe the best thing she ever did for me my entire life. Because I did have this personality that was just literally running through people. I thought I could run the company. I thought I could lead people. I thought people would follow me. No way in hell would that ever happen. Like they would just not, they wouldn't have. Um, Because I was a complete, I tell people, like an HR and talent acquisition from a leadership standpoint, you can be a lot of things, right? You can be nerdy. You can be this. You can be whatever, right? You can't be an I was a complete And she fired me for being an I started, I had gotten my master's in HR during this entire time before I got canned. And so I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, you know, I got to go get a real job. And and so I started my first real HR generalist, like HR manager job with a company out of Omaha. 
and then started my career on the corporate side. And like every, and I always wanted, I always had this pull to HR. I love HR. I mean, I'm good at talent acquisition, but I love HR, one of those kinds of things. And so started working kind of a straight HR job and had like a bunch of responsibilities and, you know, doing the policies and doing the employee investigations and blah, 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 like just doing everything. And I um, got called into a meeting because we, I was working for a retail establishment that opened a ton of pharmacies. And the head of pharmacy was like, we can't find pharmacists. And I'm like, finding pharmacists is easy. I'm like, do you guys understand? Like every pharmacist has a license that has to be through the state. And you can just get the entire list of everybody that can be a pharmacist in your state. I can't think of an easier sourcing project in the world than find a pharmacist. And the, like the VP of pharmacy is like, hey, you're now the head of talent acquisition. <laughs> and so, so I started this, this corporate career of kind of bouncing back and forth because so then I would leave, I left that job because I wanted another HR leadership position. And then I got in that job and the exact same thing happened. Like, you know, two years in, they're like, oh, let's pull you back into, you know, talent acquisition because it seems like you kind of know what's going on in talent acquisition. Eventually, um, I get a call one day, my mom had had a heart attack and, and was in the hospital. And so we kind of, kind of rushed to her side and make sure she's okay. And she had made the decision to kind of like walk away from the business or, you know, sell it. Or at that point, she's like, Hey, do you want to come back and run it? Which was a decade ago. And so I made that decision and, and coming back, um, was the first time I really realized that having all of that time in the corporate talent acquisition and HR world really prepared me to kind of run the company. And right before I came back to work for her, I had met this guy, Chris Dunn. He ran Fistful of Talent and HR Capitalist. And I met him online. I had actually read his blog and we had connected and became like just instantly, it's kind of like the like that brother from another mother thing. Like just right away, I was like, oh my gosh, you think and write exactly the way I think. And I think you're awesome. And he thinks, oh yeah, I think you're awesome. And you know, when we start this kind of man crush on each other and, and I start writing for Fistful of Talent and started blogging and then went to work, you know, run the mother's, my mother's company. And, and I didn't really realize like how big of a deal that blogging world would become. I mean, cause now I kind of look at it and like, I have like two full-time jobs. I, I run the staffing company and I have a great leadership team that really kind of runs it for me. And then I do the speaking, writing all of this other stuff, um, influencer stuff, which it's funny too, because have, do you guys agree with me on this, that like influencers become like a dirty negative word for some reason? Yeah. We don't know what, we don't know what to call oh, each other. Like you don't want to be, are you a blogger? Are you influencer? No, I'm an analyst or I'm whatever. Like somehow there's always a cooler world word, word that we have to be. I, you know what? I started out writing on my blog to educate the audience on stuff that they might not know. They might know. I just found out about, I did some research. I just want to share. It was all about just really connecting with a community. And I think, you know, when you had kind of made that comment early at the beginning, it's amazing the stuff the community will give back to you if you're giving to the community as well. And that's really what this is all about. I don't give a crap. I want, you have to believe that now. I don't really care what you call me as long as I think people are, are getting any value out of what I'm providing, right. To the community. I think that's, and that's what you guys are doing too. I think whatever, whatever you want to call us, just make sure like you're listening, I guess. Absolutely. Tim, I have to ask because you said when you were in school, you initially were going to pursue education. What kind of teacher did you think you were going to be? Yeah. Elementary education. Wow. 
I love kids. I have three sons. They're all, I mean, two in college, one in high school now, but I've always, I came up from a really, really big family. So I was always surrounded by babies and in our family, when you're from a big family, they just throw babies at you, right? Like, ah, Tim, take, <laughs> take the baby. And you're like, I'm seven. Like, what am I going to do with a baby? Like, you know, and you just grow up with all these babies. My wife was the exact opposite. She was the youngest of a family that had like maybe five people in it, you know? And so when I met her, she was like, we came to like a family function and they just like threw a baby at her. And she literally, I'm surprised she didn't drop it. Like she just looked, looked like it was like a, like someone, like someone put a piece of crap in her hand, right? Like, what is this? And why would you hand this to me? You know, I, 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 when I was in the HR, one of the things in HR that I love is training and development and all that piece as well. But kids just have this, this yearning to learn, right? That we, that we kind of lose as we get older. Some of us, you know, more than others. I think that's a first for this show. We've had a few <laughs> yeah. educators, of course. I, I am one <laughs> former educator, but that's, yeah, I think you're the first elementary ed. Yes, I, yeah, I right. do have to agree with that. That's the nice thing about talent acquisition and recruiting is like literally it's it's a it's a craft or profession that everybody falls into. No one goes to college going, I can't wait to be a recruiter. You know, like somehow <laughs> you fell in you fall into it and then some yeah. you know, and then every recruiter I know on the corporate side is trying to become an HR person because they think the HR job is easier. And then they get in HR <laughs> and they go, Oh God, this sucks. I want to go back to recruiting. And every HR person, every HR person is like, I never want to be a recruiter. So it's kind of funny that way. I'm with you, Tim. I was in recruiting for a long time, stepped out for a few years, and I'm so happy to be back in talent acquisition. Someone else can do all that HR stuff. But it wouldn't be right to bring you on and not talk about your book, which is fantastic, <laughs> The Talent Fix, Fixing the Broken Hiring Process. I have uh, given or shared my copy with so many people. I've told them to keep it, but they keep bringing it back. So maybe I need to read it again. Maybe it's a sign. <laughs> so Tim, what has the response been to your book and any tips that you can share with those that haven't had a chance to read it yet? Yeah, no. Um, you know, for me, you know, it's, it's like you guys with the podcast and your audience grows little by little. When you first start out, the audience, when I first started blogging, like the audience is small, but they're passionate because it's the people who find find you and stay around and read definitely are fans. It's almost like you're preaching to the choir, like everyone's together and you're like, everything's like this kumbaya and everything's fun and happy. And as the audience grows a little, you get many, many more questions. You also get haters that come out and they read every day because they hate you and they can't wait for you to do something wrong so they can slam you, which I always <laughs> think is so funny. But, but the thing came down to, I was getting literally just so many questions coming in and I mean, like people that would like just wanted help. So I decided to write the book so I could say, Hey, if I came in to your shop, like, this is what I would do right from day one, like all the way through, like, here's just kind of a blueprint of how I would like kind of, you know, just start to go down this path or create whatever it might be. And so there's a lot of that where foundational like the, like the one question i love to ask when i come and meet with a ta team for the first time is like who owns talent almost always the leader is kind of like oh you know i do or we do or whatever that might be and i'm like oh gosh it's that's how why you're failing right like that's exactly why you're failing and they kind of are perplexed like well wait a minute that's what we're that's what they hired me to do like that's my job i'm the leader of of talent acquisition like i i have to own it and i'm like yeah but does your organization allow you to make every hiring decision? And then they go, and then that, like that light bulb comes on. And they're like, oh man, like now like it automatically just immediately they get it where they go, 
So really it's the hiring manager who has to own talent, right? Because they make this decision. And I always tell people like if if I took my TA team and we went on like some, you know, little kind of team building exercise and we're driving down the highway and bam, the semi hits us head on, we all die. The next day the company's gonna be like, oh wow, ooh, gah, TA team all dead. That's awful. Oh, okay, let's all meet. We gotta figure out how to fill this position. Like they would still fill positions. They're not gonna stop hiring because there's no talent acquisition, it would still go on. And at that point, I think they start to understand like, oh, so really we have to get our hiring managers to kind of own and understand it's they are the ones really as a leader. And and this is the way I feel as a leader, no matter what position I have, is that the only thing I really am responsible for is ensuring that I have the right talent on my team to make the stuff happen that needs to happen. And if I don't do that, then I'm a failure as a leader. And most leaders don't even consider that their main part of their job. They consider the functional area of their job to be like the main responsibility. And you're like, no, no, no. That's why you fail as a leader. That's why so many leaders fail is because they fail to kind of surround themselves with people that can actually do that work better than they can. So for me, that was kind of the foundation of the book was, you know, we have to get people to understand that, you know, and and that's really a top down kind of thing, right? You have to get your leadership team to buy in and believe in that. Um, you'll always have some hiring managers that already do it really well and believe in it, but you're going to have some that are always, they're in a board meeting and they're getting their butts handed to them and they're going to, they're going to point at Wendy and go, well, if TA would do their job, then we would have enough people to get stuff done. And you just want to go at that point, like that's just the worst culture ever, you know, to be a part of, um, because that leader totally doesn't understand their role as a leader to say, Hey, I, I own this, right. I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to have the TA team and, and that group um, support me, and we're going to make this happen together. So we all we all kind of own it together, and that's how when I when I when I'm in the best kind of cultures within HR and talent acquisition, that's the dynamic I see between leaders and support functions, whether it's payroll, whether it's finance, whether it's whatever, is you have leaders taking ownership of their functional responsibility, and in every aspect, and those service areas are there to support and help them, and and they they work with them as a partner. And we just, it's so often we just don't find that. Talent acquisition is so much easier when you have that good relationship between the hiring manager and, and the recruiter and the, the t- whole TA team and the leadership team understanding where the responsibilities are. Yeah, I've certainly been on those sides of the conversation where it's like, well, if you were just finding us more people. Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> if you would get back to me in less than a month, um, <laughs> we wouldn't have this problem. And then there's, you get that whole finger pointing and that's never fun or or productive. Yeah. So yeah, and there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of tips and stuff about different techniques and ways to go and, and technology. You know, I got about four or five years ago, I started like demoing a lot of like HRTA technology because I really felt dumb in the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And partly because I was, you know, I'll go to a conference and I'm hanging with like William Tin Cup and Josh Burson and and John Sumsner and like these people who are just brilliant in the space and they spent most of their life in that space. And I was like, I need to learn more about this. And actually William Tinkup was the one that said, Hey, you have a blog, you know, you're writing every single day, like just go demo a product and write about it, you know, and let the audience know kind of what it does and, you know, kind of let them make the decision on, you know, if they should go out and demo it themselves. And so I started doing that and it's kind of like Gladwell's kind of 10,000 hours concept of, after about five years, now I get like offered to go speak kind of all over the world about HR and TA technology, which I think is kind of ironic and funny. 
that you're like, I was an idiot in this like five years ago. And then, you know, now you want me to talk to other people. So it's all relative, right? Around the audience that you hang with and stuff like that in terms of the community, because there's always going to be someone that knows more than you, but there's always going to be a lot of people that want to know, you know, kind of what you know. And again, it's all about sharing that information. Love yep. it. Tim, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the half hour question connection. Might have an idea of who this is, but who was your first professional mentor and what was the most important thing you learned from them? Well, I mean, I definitely will would say Chris Dunn, but there's a second really kind of like 1A, which would be Lori Rudiman. And, you know, Chris taught me that, you know, you got to fill the machine with content. And the reality is, is you're going to write a bunch of stuff and just throw it up on the, on the, you know, on to the site and, and let it live in its own space. Let it breathe and see what happens. Because I can't tell you, Wendy, like how many times I've wrote a piece where I put my heart and soul into it. And I thought, oh boy, tomorrow morning when this thing goes out to the world, it is going to go viral. It's going to change lives. And then it's crickets. Nothing happens. <laughs> and then I'll be at a conference and I'll be out like having dinner and having drinks and go back to my room in a half drunken stupor and write some, you know, blog post in like 15 minutes and throw it up on the blog. And the next morning it goes viral <laughs> and you're just like, what? So Chris's thing is always just ship it, like just write it and throw it out there. Sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it's going to be crap. Most of the time it's just going to be average. That's just what it is when you're throwing content into the machine in terms of blogging kind of thing. So you just kind of go out and do it. And then Lori, for whatever reason, just has always been like a really big advocate and also super helpful. And I mean, she's that way with a lot of people. I'm not the only person I think that would say this about Lori. And, and so knowledgeable. I mean, there there's a like a small, very tiny group of, I would say, like OG bloggers. And there's maybe, I mean, less than a dozen. And you have Lori and Chris and, you know, some of those folks. And Lori's one of those people, punk rock HR, then the cynical girl. She didn't have to welcome anybody into that space. And and she, I think she just liked the voice and, you know, she wanted to help. And she kind of knew I was raw and, and said, you know, and tried to give me tips. And, and so that she's, and to this day, I, you know, she's a close friend. So I, I you know, definitely consider her a mentor as well. Tim, who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? I will say, I think it's maybe a little bit over a year, but I have like just a huge crush on Torn Else right um, right now. Like to me, Torn is just an amazing speaker. Uh, you know, and, and he's in the DNI space, but he actually came out of recruiting. He can, he really had so much more to give to the community. And so if you have a chance, I mean, and it's, and it's ironic that this year, I think we ended up at the same, like four or five of the same conferences speaking. And so I got to see him speak a lot. I, he, you know, like I go to a lot of conferences and speak and most of the time I don't, you just don't hang out and like watch the other speakers because like, if you're going to 25 or 30 conferences a year, there's only so much HR content you can really consume. Like there's certain speakers that you see a lot. And so you're like, Oh yeah, I, I kind of got, I got the show, right? Like I don't need to see them again. Like, man, Torn is one where I will definitely, I, I actually will get up early and go down and watch him because every single time, like the energy and passion he brings and gives to the audience, like I just feed off that. I think he's just an amazing person. I've been listening to his uh, podcast with Julie Schwash, Crazy and the King, 
and I love it. I love, yeah. I, I love it. And so, yeah, he's on my list of people that I definitely want to meet um, when out and about and trying to get connect with Julie or I've connected with Julie to get her on um, the HR Wonder Women segments because, yeah. because she's, she's just fantastic. And we've, we've talked a couple of times. So I just, we just need to get her scheduled. Their, their podcast is fantastic. I love listening to it. And, you know, people need to listen to the, your episode with them, you, you know, talking about your mom and it was, that was a great episode. Yeah, the grief, the grief stuff, I think, is like we had talked about, like, it's not, it's not something that yeah, a lot of people talk about. Um, and I actually was in a session in New England um, at an HR conference there. And it was, it was funny, because it was one of those sessions where a couple of ladies came on stage to talk about grief and HR. And, and like, literally, the room was like, I mean, a 10th full, right? Nobody right. wanted to go to that session. And it was so powerful. It was so great. Like, we just don't talk about it enough. Exactly. If you could go back to the start of your career, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself based on what you know now? Don't be an <laughs> Like literally, that has to be the best piece of advice. Like just be more humble and understand, you know, kind of everybody's coming at, at the world at a different pace and different, you know, I think it's a classic kind of leadership fail is that we think everybody should care about stuff the same exact way that we care about stuff. And and it's not that people don't care, but people, they, they have cares about their own stuff, right? They have other cares that we might not care about, but they care about. And I think as a young kind of leader growing up, I just cared so much about performance and pushing forward and gaining more and blah, blah, blah. And I would see these people and just be like, you know, they don't care enough, right? And, and it came across that in a really negative way. And then as I got older and, and, you know, kind of saw so much more, I think, in my life is is to understand that, oh, gee, that person actually cared a whole bunch about something else that had a huge impact on their life at that time. And I just was, you know, too naive or just too much of an idiot to see it at that point. Tim, I know you do a whole lot of different things well beyond not being a life coach. But how do you enjoy giving back to the HR community? I mean, you know, besides writing every single day for eight years, I, <laughs> I, um, it, I struggle with this because I mean, I think that's a lot, right? I, I mean, I have two thousand plus blog posts that I've put up, you know, that you know they're out there. I constantly have people reaching out to say, "Oh, I want you to be my mentor," and I struggle. Like that's the Midwest person in me to struggle to say no, but like I just don't have capacity. Um, but I have taken on a handful um, of, of people from that standpoint. One of the things I do, I get people that reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. At, right now, it's probably about one a week. And they'll say, hey, I'm out of a job, right? Just got laid off, just got fired, just got whatever, right? This life happens. And now they're looking for their next HR position or the next recruiting position. And they're asking me for help. And I said, look, the best thing I can do is to share your profile and your story with my network and let it just go. And sometimes it connects and sometimes it doesn't. I had a gal out of central Indiana like two weeks ago that I kind of threw her story up and threw it out there. And, and we literally within hours had four or five people like wanting to interview her and had 5,000 people on LinkedIn view it and just, you know, it kind of took off. And I think for me, that's one thing I can do is that, hey, if there's anything I have about this audience and this network I've been able to build over a decade is let me kind of like help you kind of get connected with more people and let the community, you know, kind of know that you're out there and what you're looking for. 
That being said, for all the 14 million people listening to this podcast, please do not connect with me on LinkedIn asking me for a job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just going to say, hey, Tim. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> very happy in my job. I don't, happy to not be looking. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> what is your favorite movie? Wow, I have a lot. I will say probably my one, depends on the mood. I will say A Few Good Men um, is probably my all-time favorite scene, the courtroom scene with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. Love that. One of my jobs in, in college, going through college, was working at a movie theater. And so I just happened to be managing a theater at the same time A Few Good Men was out. And so I bet I got to see that scene in the theater 175 times or more. I'd have no idea. But I could like literally, like you know, by word, kind of go through it. I love Deadpool. <laughs> I think it's just brilliant writing. I'm shocked that it didn't get an Academy Award. So, I mean, but there's so many movies. Um, but like, I, I guess Few Good Men is probably my go-to. How about your favorite musician or band? I am, wow, you know what? So here's, you gotta, like, this is eclectic. So I'm a big rap fan. Kind of grew up in the 80s, late 80s in high school. Um, and so a lot of old school kind of 80s rap and just kind of fell in love with that. So whether it's Eminem or Jay-Z or Drake or whatever that might be. And then I have this entire other side of I love musical theater. And so I'll have like Hamilton soundtrack and the greatest showman soundtrack and like all of this other stuff as well. I, I mean, I love so many kinds of music. I'm, music is just a big giant part of my life. I, I listen to music constantly. So I don't, I wouldn't say I have one over another. Um, Cause I will, I mean, I go, I'll go down like a, you know, a three hour segment of Yacht Rock as well and just be totally enamored with all of that. That's awesome. So how about a favorite TV show? My, see, I always tell my wife, she's got the TV gene. She grew up in a family that like, yeah. they just love TV. So we, we get through all the series. I think my, like, I mean, I was a definite GOT person, right? Game of Thrones, I loved. Breaking Bad. Um, what's the one on Showtime that I love? Shameless. Love Shameless. Heard good like, things about so, that like, one. I, she, she introduces me to so many. Um, I can't, like, again, like, there's, like, right now is kind of like, people always say, oh, that's the golden age of movies, the golden age of TV. I'm like, holy crap, like, right now has to be the golden age of TV. There are so yeah. many avenues to get content and watch shows. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of good shows out right now, too. You, I can't keep up. Yeah. Well, there's, you, you got to have all the platforms right. to try to catch right them, now. too. Yeah. That's the fun part. Uh, Disney's coming out, that Mandalorian oh. show. Everybody, everything I've heard is it's going to be top flight. And that, that might be the only reason I want to get it. <laughs> I, it's just, exactly. I can see that. But. I know. That's the, that's the Boba <laughs> Fett one, right? That is the yes, that yep. is the Boba yes. Fett Mandalorians, yes, and it's supposed to be yep. like a Wild West show. So I'm I'm all for it. Tim, as I look for connection, I, I too am a huge Deadpool fan. I hate the creator. The movie is top flight, <laughs> and, and the oh, creator's the in the, the yeah the, the Rob Liefeld, who was the artist. Uh, yeah. Fabian Nuncia wrote it, and Liefeld drew him. I've met Liefeld. He's a tool. I'll put it on record. I don't care. He'll tweet and tell me I'm a jerk. But uh, yeah, yeah anyway. Yeah, exactly. He's still got more money than I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, but no, if you're, and if I get, yeah. yeah. Ryan Reynolds played an amazing part. The writing is amazing. You know, just the entire concept. But like, yeah. I don't know if you read comics at all, Tim, but if you like Deadpool, check out. There was a series called uh, Deadpool Dead Presidents. Oh, and yeah. the premise is that 
S.H.I.E.L.D. hires a necromancer to resuscitate all the dead presidents, and Deadpool has to kill them all again. And it is some of the fun. It, it, it's Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn. Uh, Posehn's a comedian. It is yeah. some of the funniest stuff. And there's references to Spiro T. Agnew. So there'll be a tag and it'll say editor's note. Hey, kids, ask your parents who Spiro T. Agnew is. But it is one of the funniest series. The art in it is phenomenal. But anyway, yeah, Deadpool, Dead Presidents. It's like a probably a six-page or six-issue book. You can pick it up and yeah. trade or probably get the nice. library. Highly recommend if you like Deadpool right. you, in <laughs> comics at all. It is hysterical because the way he no, kills some of the presidents is outrageous. For me, Deadpool is one of the most rewatchables, right? And I mean, in yeah. terms of like you could at any point like, you have it on, you're like, oh, okay, I'm in for next next thirty minutes. Like I just I'm right. gonna be stuck. <laughs> well, when when you're not watching a few good men or Deadpool and not listening to musical yeah. theater and hip hop, which is the best crossover I've ever heard yet, or watching yeah. Game of Thrones, what else do you like to do outside of work? So I married a division one athlete who was like literally national kind of ranked level volleyball player. And I played volleyball in college as well and kind of came up through that. Um, and so then we had three sons and so they've, they all have been really, really involved in athletics. And I've coached since they were old enough to be on a team of any sort, whether that was T-ball or little, little kicker soccer or anything like that. Um, and so I've constantly been involved in that now, you know, so I have more, my oldest son played college baseball. My middle son was a college swimmer. And then I have a high school tennis, um, and, and swimmer as well. And so constantly involved either with coaching or just traipsing all over the country, following them on their athletic kind of endeavors. I'm a huge Michigan state, um, person. So I kind of grew up with a dad that was at Michigan state. Um, I didn't go to Michigan State myself, but like we, in, if you if you live in Michigan, you're either a Michigan fan or you're a Michigan State fan. So I grew up a Michigan State fan. Now my office is like a mile and a half off campus, so I have, you know, uh, football tickets and basketball tickets and all of that good stuff. So um, we definitely are big Sparty fans as well. College football, nothing quite like it. Love it. No, yeah, oh yeah, like so in this like. Saturday we have a game against Penn State and um, the tailgate. We have a theme tailgate every time, so it's oh. it's the turkey Thanksgiving dinner tailgate. So we will deep fry turkey. We'll have stuffing, the mashed potatoes, everything like the wow. whole fixing, green bean casserole, full tailgate turkey dinner. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. So Tim, finally, if you weren't in the HR profession, what do you think you'd be doing? A great question. I would love to tell you that I would be like a coach of like a college volleyball team or like of the Los Angeles Lakers or something. The reality, I'm a very much a realist. My reality is I would probably be a salesman of some sort because I tend to be able to push people to certain ideas. <laughs> but I, I've, I mean, again, like, like going down that teaching path and then wanting to get in HR and like loving the training side and just um, the coaching part was always something that both my wife and I thought we would probably go down that path. When she married me, I think she truly thought that's what I was going to end up being was a college coach and then just fell in like, again, fell into recruiting and then just kind of took off from there. Well, Tim, as we always say, we're glad you're not doing those things because if you weren't, we wouldn't be with you tonight. Again, cannot say enough how glad we were able to finally make this happen. Cause again, I think this is the longest it's taken us to get, to get somebody that we've wanted, but it was well worth the wait. I am disappointed. I'm not going to bleep as much as I thought I was going to. That's okay. I'll get over it. 
just start bleeping yeah, randomly. Exactly. I can't imagine our listeners not being connected with you, but if they are not, what's the best way for them to reach out there via social media? Just Google Tim Sackett. I'm like the first hundred pages. Like the SEO is pretty strong. There's another Tim Sackett who's a truck driver chaplain in Minneapolis, which would be so awesome if I was that exact same guy, right? Like Tim Sackett, like the recruiting guy, and then Tim Sackett, the truck driver chaplain. Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm sure he's really upset that I stole all of his SEO on Google. And once in a while, I'll get like I have Google alerts set up. So that if I, because, you know, this is just kind of like um, trade kind of stuff, right? Like once in a while, people steal your stuff, right? Like your blog post or whatever, and they put them on a vendor site and they act like it's their own. And and so um, like I just have different things set up, right? So that sometimes I'll get like notices. And so, but I'll, Google will notice me when like something goes on media around Tim Sack at the truck driver shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, I, I always think that's like super funny. It's like once a month I'll get something like, Tim Sackett, the truck driver chaplain, met with a bunch of truck drivers, like at a truck stop in, like, you know, some, like, Farmington, Minnesota, you know, <laughs> you're just like, okay, you know, but, like, so, like, you know, I'm, it, like, I, you know, I'm an open, like, networker on LinkedIn or the Twitters, and everything is branded, and, you know, kind of Tim Sackett. I've, I, early on, I made sure I kind of got that stuff, so, you know, it was pretty consistent, and that was, again, I think both Lori and Chris, you know, who started out at a time where you had to have, like, the in the, the name, right? Like the punk rock HR and the HR capitalist. And then all of a sudden people don't know who they really are. And, and then they kind of have come full circle and go, oh, I should probably own Lori Rudiman. I should probably own Chris Dunn. And then Chris was, you know, kind of got screwed because like there was actually um, a really good basketball player in college that just got drafted in the NFL or NBA like two years ago. That was Chris Dunn, exactly the same spelling. So he's like, yeah. I just lost out on all of that. We will have your information in the show notes for sure. Wendy, how about you? What's the best way for listeners to find you out there? Best way is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And apparently I'm going to take Timmons' advice. I'm just going to start throwing crap out. Um, <laughs> we'll see what sticks. <laughs> yep. Ship it. Yeah. Um, but of course, fourth Sunday of each month, please join me and John on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time for our monthly HR Social Hour Twitter chat. How about you, John? Easiest way to find me is hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Top left-hand side of the screen, you'll see three little lines you can open up. All my contact information is there. If you are listening to this show and you are interested in contacting us about sponsors, do not email me at my office at my day job. <laughs> I do not discuss it on the show, and that is purposeful. It is not hard to find me. Find me somewhere else. It is not cool, and I do not appreciate it. But I'm guessing that person will never listen to the show, so everybody else gets a Probably good laugh not. at it. And anyhow, <laughs> if, you're, if you go to the website and there are episodes you haven't heard, download, listen, rate, review, check them out, share, everything you can do to help us boost the signal we appreciate. So so what's, what's, the, what's the most listened to episode so far? Callie Zippel. Was the most downloaded show. Oh, wow. Yeah. RIP, because yeah. she's awesome. So, and now, so now you just told, like, I was going to say, we're going to beat the crap out of Cali. <laughs> Let's not do that. Uh, no, number, number I, two are our international we'll guests on Sherm, yeah. Sherm, from Sherm. So maybe we, we, we can fight uh, those people overseas. Oh, really? yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So let's, we'll make sure it goes viral one there day. There we go. There we go. <laughs> but yes, but yes, absolutely. Download, rate, review, share. Everything you do helps. 
Tim, thanks again, man. It's been an absolute joy. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. 